you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. J.C. Ryle, a name that most of you recognize quickly, said of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that it's one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, and that the servant of Christ would do well to make himself thoroughly acquainted with it. So over the course of the next few weeks, I hope to do just that, to make all of us more acquainted with the conversation that Jesus Christ has with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. It is in the context of this conversation that perhaps the best known verse in all the Bible is found. John 3.16, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus when he said in that 16th verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, I hope to just open up this conversation. I don't expect to get much further than about the fifth verse. As we see this man approach Jesus at night, the first five verses detail for us what the main point or the subject of this conversation is all about, that being regeneration or conversion the new birth, all speak to the necessity of being born again. What Jesus says, Nicodemus, please hear, ring in your ear as well. You must be born again. If you are to have the hope of heaven, if you are to have your sins forgiven, if you are to be made right in the sight of God, if you are not to be an object of God's wrath yourself, then you must be born again. We can't speak the gospel any more plainly than that. This is exactly what Jesus tells Nicodemus. The scriptures do not tell us that salvation begins or spiritual life begins upon the decision of someone to follow Christ. As important as that is, the scriptures detail for us that salvation begins with regeneration, with the new birth. That's confusing to some. It was confusing to this teacher of the law. To say it another way, the scripture teaches us that salvation does not begin with man, it begins with God. Salvation is of the Lord. So let's read this conversation. I'm going to read all 21 verses, or the first 21 verses of John chapter 3, and then we'll come back. Lord willing, we'll get through the fifth verse. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do the things, the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Let's pray. Father, we've read this inspired conversation between Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and Nicodemus. Lord, teach us the spiritual truth here. Impress upon us the need of conversion to be born again. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work which only you can do and that you would give the new birth to those who lack it. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. You know, it's not unusual for us to hear the phrase born again in conversation. The claim is rightly made and biblically made and pressed that a person must be born again to receive the blessings of salvation. And those blessings we receive both here and now and certainly in eternity, eternal life. To say it as simply as Jesus says it to Nicodemus, you must be born again if you will be saved. Saved from what? Well, we could answer that question in several ways. Saved from your own sin and the consequence of it. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. The wage that we are paid for our sin is that we die, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. The scriptures say after this death, it is appointed for a man to die once and after that, the judgment. So if you would be saved from your sin and its consequence, you must be born again. But let me say that a little different, a little differently. Not many of us think of the necessity of being saved from a holy God. 
But that's the essence of what to be saved is. Do we need to be saved from our sin? Absolutely. But we need to be saved from the wrath, the impending wrath of a holy God that is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Malachi the prophet, the very last book of the Old Testament, says that this day is burning like an oven. And what that means, at least in part, is that this day is already prepared. The wrath of God can come upon the sons of disobedience at any time. So be saved from it. Flee the wrath that is to come. And if you say, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to run from the wrath of God that is coming upon me justly. Tell me where to go. Run to Jesus by faith, trusting him that when that day of vengeance come, comes, you will be found in him, not having a righteousness of your own, but one that has come from him. Jesus Christ is the only hiding place from the wrath of God. Your own works will disintegrate in a moment before the holy and just wrath of God. Your inheritance, whatever it may be, will disintegrate in a moment before the holy wrath of a just God. Your relationships, those things that you may be trusting in now, your money, whatever it is that you are trusting in, will disintegrate in a moment's time. And you will be left all alone to stand and bear the wrath of a holy God. Now let me ask you a very serious question. Why would you do that? Why would you enter into eternity with only what you have to offer God by way of appeasing Him at your disposal? The scripture details for us the great provision that God the Father has made by sending His Son, born sinless, remaining sinless, Dying sinless, being raised, and now all that have faith in him are covered by his righteousness and saved from the wrath that is to come. And so this is what the conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus centers around. Really, it centers around the question, how can a man be saved? Jesus answers it simply by saying, you must be born again. You must experience regeneration. Some of you have a notation in your Bible that the words could be translated, you must be born from above. That's a faithful way to translate the word, but I don't think that's how Nicodemus understood it. His question to Jesus is, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb again? So he understood exactly what Jesus said. He understood the external words. He didn't comprehend yet what Jesus meant, but he understood the necessity of what we call the new birth. And so let's look briefly at this man, Nicodemus. The scripture tells us a lot about him here and in other places, primarily in the Gospel of John. And we need to see the context of this conversation. And we have to go back to the end of chapter 2 to do that. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the time of Passover, the feast. 
And we're told there in the 23rd verse, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And if you go immediately back into the second chapter, the first recorded miracle that Jesus did was to turn water into wine. And that, John tells us, was the good stuff. You see that in verse 10. The owner of the house comes to him and says, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the first recorded miracle of Jesus, and Nicodemus somehow or some way was privileged to see that, and many others, and he comes now, and he makes this confession. We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. couple of things we've skipped over here. He was a ruler of the Jews and he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a religious group of men. And this group really arose out of a pure motive. In their original, the original Pharisees had a good desire They went about it the wrong way, and over time, certainly, it degenerated. The Pharisees arose from a desire of some God-fearing men who abhorred idolatrous customs and wanted to stand firm and uphold the law of God. And it's important to note that the Pharisees were right on many points of doctrine. Certainly, they were wrong on some, but William Hendrickson tells us that there was one basic and tragic error of the Pharisees. They made religion an external thing. Everything was about what you saw. Everything was about what you did or what you did not do. Outward conformity to the law was the goal of the Pharisee. Their teaching was the epitome of salvation by works. And that's the way this man Nicodemus comes. That's the baggage that he is carrying to this conversation. It also tells us here that he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was a teacher and very possibly a member of the Sanhedrin, which you can think of them as the upper echelon of the Pharisees. The most devout, the most learned, the most scholarly. Perhaps he was even a scribe. He could probably say the same thing that Paul said of himself after his conversion, that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the cream of the crop of this group. He brings all of this baggage to Jesus at night. Much has been made as to why this man comes to Jesus at night. Interestingly, in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus is mentioned two other times, 7th chapter, verse 50, 19th chapter, verse 39. In both of those times, in parentheses, it says, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, did this. In chapter 7, he stood up and defended Jesus. And then again, in chapter 19, he is one of the two that took the body of Jesus from the cross and prepared it for burial. So the fact that he comes by night at this point in time most likely points to the fact that he was afraid. 
afraid of the rest of the Pharisees, afraid of the rest of the Jews, to come to Jesus and make a real inquiry about his soul. He addresses Jesus with the utmost respect. He calls him rabbi. And then he makes an important declaration. We know you're a teacher from God. Who he's including in the we there, we just simply aren't told. But we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. When we consider Nicodemus' life as a whole, from our first introduction to him in John 3 to our last in John 19, an early point of application here is what started in fear ended in strong faith. That's probably a lot of our testimonies. What started in fear finished in strong faith. Faith. What a mercy God showed to this former salvation by works believing Pharisee. At the end of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus is taking the bloodied, bruised, battered, broken body of Jesus off the cross. That body which had just accomplished his own redemption. He is wrapping that body in linen strips of cloth and he has brought himself a hundred pounds. You can read this in John 19, 39. He brought himself a hundred pounds of spices, of myrrhs and aloes to care for the body of Jesus. What mercy God showed this man. What privilege he had. Do you see how he was transformed over time from someone who slunk up to Jesus at night for fear to this great giant of faith going with Joseph of Arimathea in full daylight to Pilate wanting Jesus' body? What a great transformation has taken place. Evidently, Nicodemus had experienced the new birth that Jesus talks to him about here in John chapter 3. But here is the interesting beginning of this conversation. Jesus answers a question that was not asked. Some say, well, that's just because John did not record the question. That could be. But when we read this in light of what the 24th verse of the second chapter says, Jesus knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew Nicodemus was a salvation by works believing Pharisee who was coming to him with a real inquiry about the state of his soul. He doesn't word it like the rich young ruler worded it last week, what may I do to inherit eternal life? What may I do to be saved? In fact, he doesn't word a question at all. Voice a question. But Jesus gets right to the point. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus introduces his answer to the question that wasn't asked by saying, King James, verily, verily. New American Standard ESV, truly, truly. New King James, which I read to you most assuredly, and in the original, Jesus basically says, Amen, Amen. Let me now give you the answer to the question that you weren't brave enough to ask. Verily, verily, I say to you, the you here is plural. He's not just speaking this to Nicodemus. He's speaking this to all men of all time, of all places. And he says unequivocally, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot, therefore he will not see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus lays clearly before Nicodemus the requirement of salvation, the new birth, regeneration. You have to have a new heart. The Old Testament prophets said it this way, the heart of stone must be removed and in its place a heart of flesh. There must be a transplant, so to speak. And no more than you could do a heart transplant physically on yourself can you do one spiritually on yourself. You have to have a surgeon. You have to have a Savior who is operating in grace and mercy and with great wisdom to come and remove that heart of stone and give the heart of flesh or else you would die in your sin. That's why we often refer to the grace of God as amazing, miraculous grace, free grace, doing for us what we could not and would not have done for ourselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is an absolute necessity. Nicodemus responds from a carnal frame of mind, thinking only in the physical realm. He says, how? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What is the common sense obvious answer to that? It's ludicrous to even think it. Jesus answered. This time he answers a question that was asked. And he says to him again, getting his attention, amen, amen, most assuredly, verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what do we make of this verse? All kinds of things have been made of this verse. Some say of this verse, you have to be baptized. Water is here. Baptismal regeneration, that salvation comes merely by placing your body in the water, being baptized. You don't find that 
anywhere in the scriptures. It is not there. That's not what this verse means. Some see only that Jesus is here stating the obvious that you must be born of water physically before you can ever be redeemed spiritually and given new birth. And that's a popular way of understanding and interpreting this verse. You have to first be born physically, and then you must be born of the Spirit, which comes afterwards. Well, that's true, but I don't think it gets at the heart of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying you have to be baptized. Proof positive for those who need it. The thief on the cross, Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. Did someone whisk him away, go baptize him, and then stick him back on the cross? No. Scripture never contradicts itself. So Jesus could not be saying here that you have to be baptized before you can be converted. Nor is he only relating the fact that you must be physically born and then redeemed. So what is he saying? Well, to answer that question, I want you to go back with me in your Bible to the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. And look at the 36th chapter. And this is not only contained in Ezekiel, you'll find it in Jeremiah. And you will find scattered throughout the Old Testament in different types and shadows the very same thing that we are about to read. And we're going to see where it is also contained in the New Covenant as well, the New Testament. When Jesus gives a reply to him by saying, you must be born of water and the Spirit if you are to enter the kingdom of God. Listen to what Ezekiel says in chapter 36. And here he is prophesying about the new covenant that is to come. The old covenant, the new covenant, the book of Hebrews that we're reading publicly tells us time and time again, the new covenant is better than the old. And it describes several different ways by which the new covenant is better than the old, primarily because of its high priest. But here in the 36th chapter, and I'm looking at verse 25. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. Ezekiel is relating certain facts about the new covenant. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel... Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says their God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. So here's the context of what we're about to read. God is saying to them through Ezekiel, basically, I am going to do for you this great work for my own sake. You have drawn my name through the muck and the mire of sin and perversion, harlotry, all of these things. You have cast me aside, but this is what I am going to do for you. So this is a picture 
of salvation. When you read that verse 22 down through verse 23 and 4, see that as making an application unto yourself. And this is how God says he is going to bring remedy to this. I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall become clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And you can keep reading. But the point that is to be made here, back in verse 25. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a Pharisee who knew the law. Nicodemus most likely could have quoted this passage of Ezekiel. And when Jesus says, you must be born of water and spirit, most likely in, Ezekiel, most likely in Nicodemus' mind, things begin to fire. And he understands. Jesus is saying, you must be cleansed from your filthiness. This is what baptism represents, but this is not what baptism does. Water baptism represents the cleansing of the filthiness of the flesh. And this is what Jesus reiterates to him. You must be born of water. You must be cleansed. You must be washed. Isn't that what we read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6? And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were cleansed. You were born of water, so to speak. The purifying water of the Spirit has washed over you and all of your filthiness, all of the filthiness of your self-righteous rags has been washed away. And secondly, you must be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? You must have this new heart of flesh given to you. Notice who is responsible there for the giving. But we also see this same thought over in the New Testament in one of Paul's writings to the Ephesian church. In chapter 5 where he details the great relationship of Christ and the church and then calls husbands and wives to take this as their great example of how to live with one another. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submitting themselves to their husbands as the church does to Christ. Notice verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water, by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
This is what Christ has done for us. A husband is to love his wife in this way. Christ has washed us with the water of his word, removed all of our filth, made us clean, made us holy in his sight. Matthew Poole, an old commentator, says it this way. By water, we are here to understand the grace of the Holy Spirit in purifying the soul, which is fitly represented by the efficacy of water. And this purifying, refreshing virtue of the Spirit as promised in the prophecies that concern the times of the Messiah, that's what we read in Ezekiel 36. So in giving answer to this question that Nicodemus did indeed ask this time, Back in John 3, Jesus says, Verily, verily, of utmost importance, of highest truth, unless you are born of water, unless you are cleansed, unless your filthiness is removed, born of water and spirit, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want you to go back with me as I close to John chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 6. And we're going to read the same type of language from John again. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And what that means is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, was coming to bear witness of the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself being the true light which gives light to every man in the world. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him, him to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Don't miss verse 13. May I entreat you humbly to submit yourself to the word of God in verse 13. It is a reiteration, or perhaps I should say it this way, the third chapter is a reiteration and illustration of this 13th verse where John says, of these who believe in the name of Christ, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you, Nicodemus, you Pharisee, teacher of the law, you and everyone else must be born again. You must be washed by the water of the word, 
by the work of the Spirit, removing all the filthiness of your flesh, and you must be born of the Spirit, then you will see the kingdom. Then you will see the kingdom. Regeneration can be defined like this, and I think it's a helpful way to define it. Speaking of regeneration also, conversion also fits under this. They mean basically the same thing. A supernatural rebirth into spiritual life by which God begins salvation. Any of you here this morning, myself included, that profess faith in Christ, there was a point in time in His grace, in His mercy made known to us, where he born us again by his spirit, gave us a new heart, changed all of our wants, wishes, and desires, made us willing to come in the day of his power. I can say that because the scripture says very plainly, the natural man in his natural state not only knows nothing of the spiritual things of God, nor can he discern them. If you know anything spiritually, it's because the Lord has made you, helped you, been gracious to you. All praise and glory to him. Let's pray and then we will observe communion. Father, we come this morning and we, Lord, are humbled yet again to see that salvation is indeed of the Lord. Lord, you are exceedingly merciful. You're full of grace and truth. Your grace is in every way amazing. Lord, you have called us to yourself. You have called us to the light out of darkness. And you have given us, as your people, a commission to make the gospel of Christ known to every creature under heaven. What a message we have to share. And we share it in hope. Knowing that the power of the gospel will accomplish its work in the hearts and lives of mankind. Lord, we're especially thankful for this Lord's Day that you have allowed us to be witness to both ordinances that you have given your church, the ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Father, may this time be edifying for us. May it be a time of examination where we examine ourselves and where you by your spirit do the same. Lord, we pray.